we, we have a lot of successes, Eric, between us. But what, what you and I both know is that what we really bring to the table are the failures. Hi, it's Eric Weir, and welcome today to another episode of Stuttering Your Way to Success. Today, I'm with a great friend of mine, Bill Rees. Bill Rees and I have done so much together. We've owned a company together. We've we've executive produced film together, and he's moved on to bigger, better things. He's running a massive corporation now or a nonprofit. I want to learn all about that. I've learned so much from him on on, on, on strategies, watching him go from managing a small team to a very large team. Uh, watch them uh, interact with celebrities, captains of industry, and talk about being around change. Wow, Bill, you've seen so much change with media and entertainment, uh, the theaters, COVID-19. I mean, there's, wow, managing through all that had to be just epic. So, so Bill, tell me a little bit about Bill Reeves. Bill Reeves, Eric, great to be with you today. I uh, echo those sentiments not only was it a privilege to be in business with you for many years, but I uh, treasure my friendship with you. So thanks for having me on today and uh, excited about what you're doing with this podcast. Um, so Bill Reeves, I, uh, I live in the great state of Tennessee and uh, the booming town of Nashville. Uh, good luck buying a house here these days. Yeah. And uh, very difficult. I am married to my college sweetheart, Heidi. We've been married almost 30 years and have three children, 25, 23, and 17. And we have two grandchildren, 13 and one. So our life is a lot of fun. I've been in the entertainment business my whole career. Started when I was 18 in college, working on my marketing degree and Started in the music business, and that led me into film and home entertainment, and obviously crossed paths with you through that journey, and you and I ran a business together for many years that we then sold, and uh, we still interact with each other a lot, I know that, but uh, I, I look forward to more and more opportunities with you down the road. Great. I, I, I have one thing to say. VeggieTales. Tell Veggie me about VeggieTales. My word, you were involved in VeggieTales. I, I mean, I've never, never thought I could watch it. a show on vegetables. I'm like, they're crushing it. They're crushing it. You know, tell me about VeggieTales. VeggieTales. You know what? It's so funny, Eric. I mean, I've had a lot of really great opportunity through the years uh, in publishing and music and film. And I, I mean, I just, God's blessed me with a lot of great opportunity. But every time somebody finds out I work for VeggieTales, that is all they want to talk about. I know you're typecast. <laughs> it is the funniest thing. Typecast. That's right. Yes, it is true. I worked for a tomato and a cucumber for three years. And um, I joined them in around 2000 when uh, VeggieTales was about seven or eight years old. At that point, I had been working for their distributor, which was Word Records. And uh, I got to know Phil just a little bit, and I really loved the vision of what they were trying to do. I, I, I love, and we could talk about this a lot. I could do sure, a sure. podcast on this, but, but at the end of the day, a lot of Christian products only reach Christians. And while I believe in nourishing and feeding the body of Christ, I also believe that the world needs to hear the good news of the gospel and veggie tales was taking it out to the mainstream world in a way that I'd right. never seen. So right, right, right. I was fortunate to join. Uh, I had, I, I had three roles there. 
I uh, started in consumer products. I, I was working with Fisher Price Toys and Padat Apparel and Hallmark Cards and a lot of the Christian-based companies that were making products like shirts and ties. And I uh, did that for uh, probably a year and a half, all while a uh, second job being uh, a, a small part at that time of the marketing team for their very first movie, Jonah, a VeggieTales movie that, Eric, as you know, your resume in the film business are your screen credits. And uh, <laughs> that was my very first screen credit. I'm uh, listed in that movie uh, on the marketing team. And Boy, I just saw the power of film through that. And then the last thing I did there was uh, ran their Christian retail business. Back when there were thousands of Christian retail stores, uh, I was in charge of managing those relationships. So loved VeggieTales. I still have a really close relationship with Phil Vischer, the creator, and uh, Bob the Tomato, and Mike Naraki, who was Larry the Cucumber. Those guys are still friends, and I still work with them from time to time. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, do this for me also. Uh, uh, 2019, what a crazy, crazy time. COVID, how did that impact you? I mean, there's so many questions about ministry. Did giving go down? Did giving go up? Did impact? How, how did you help people? How did you bring people together? I mean, tell me, I mean, you were you're running K-Love, massive nonprofit of outreach. Out, I mean, tell me what you do today a little bit and how did COVID did it impact you in the ministry? Yeah, boy, that is a great topic because I, I think for me, one of the things I've spent my life doing is trying to tell people about God's faithfulness. And I got to live it on the front row through COVID running this organization. So as, as you know, and we can explain to your, uh, your viewers, you and I owned a business called WTA, Working Title Agency. We, right, were right. In the, we were in the film finance business. We marketed and distributed films, helped them get made. We also had a, a book, book publishing, book agency business that we helped authors and filmmakers get their products out. Uh, in late 2019, uh, Educational Media Foundation, which is the parent nonprofit of K-Love and Air One Radio Networks, acquired WTA brought me over to be the CEO and uh, also a board member. And little did we know, Eric, that, you know, what we believe to be a marriage of two great teams uh, so that the sum of the parts would be greater than the individual parts to reach people for Christ turned into an organization that was trying to change from radio only, K-Love and Air One, into multimedia. And oh, by the way, let's drop a pandemic right on the top of that. Uh, yeah. Growth season. <clears throat> now, as you point out, we are a nonprofit. So we're donor supported, just like NPR or PBS. Um, you know, we a couple times a year, we go on the radio and we raise money for our operations for the next year. Um, to your question, how did it affect us? Uh, the, the downside is culturally, it creates a lot of problems. We have uh, right at 500 employees. And when you have that many employees who are um, scared, just like everyone else, mm -hmm. uh, unsure, you're working from home, you're not in the office with people to collaborate, it creates challenges. And I know you faced that as well as you were navigating those waters. At WCF. Oh, sure. <clears throat> but it was really challenging. And yet at the same time, when we go out to donors, and say, okay, uh, and, and in fact, I, before I tell you that story, I'll say our pledge drive 
in early 2020 was scheduled in April. We delayed it because we knew people were hurting and we didn't feel like it was the right time to ask for money. We took a big step of faith. Mm -hmm. We did the pledge drive in the summer and uh, the donors showed up in a big way, Eric. I mean, Mm. the last the last two and a half years we have been on or ahead of budget. And it's because we just have incredibly faithful listeners and donors who've been really good. And we, we've just seen God's faithfulness to keep this, this ministry going, even through these really difficult economic times. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. If you could go back, say, 20 years, more than that, I could go back to Bill, who's 20, 20 year old Bill. What would you tell yourself? Oh, man. I guess I have to be honest here, right, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind. Um, you know, when I grew, I grew up in a Christian home in the South and, you know, you're, you're taught the Bible from the time you're young and in my home. And I'm so grateful for that. One of the things, though, that I discovered later in life that I wish I would have known at 20 as clearly as I do today is that we're, we're all wired to do something. I, I believe scripture teaches God made us and he wired us a certain way. He gave us gifts. Right. <clears throat> and the success in life isn't, oh, making a lot of money and having all that success. Success in life is finding out what God's wired you to do and pursuing that. If you're living in your giftings, it's, yeah. it's, the, old, it's the old adage, Eric. You and I have probably said mm-hmm. it to each other. If you mm-hmm. find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. It's so I, I think, true. I think there are biblical principles behind that. And I encourage, especially young, young business leaders, especially, hey, a lot of times you get pressured into a job because you need a paycheck or you need to pay off that college debt. Don't think about that. Steer towards where your giftings are. I think about your son, Eric Matthew. That mm-hmm. man, that guy is such a great filmmaker. And he's got such an eye for it. And I saw it from the minute I met him and he was just shooting videos around your house. That is that that's you want to encourage Matthew to go that path. And you've done right. That. And so I that's important to me. The other thing that's really important to me that I would tell 20 year old self, uh, there are a million things that will get in the way of number one, your faith life and number two, your family life. And you've mm. got to make sure those two things are prioritized and that sometimes means walking away from a particular job or giving up something you, you could do um, that isn't, um, well, let's use Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of, of being in church on Sunday mornings. Sure. Um, there's a lot of things that can get in the way of date night with your wife or mm-hmm. uh, that sports activity with your kids. <clears throat> Eric, I know you spend a lot of time with your kids and I do, love yeah. on them. And you travel the country to do that, even as they grow into adults. And I'm trying to do the same with mine. So I say, keep those, keep things out of the way of interrupting your faith life mm-hmm. and your family life. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, and, and thanks for sharing that. H- have you, I know at your, this stage in life, you've had just tremendous successes. You, you're, you're, you're well known in your industry. Has there ever been a time you feel like just thrown in the towel and I'm out of here, I quit, you know? And, and what is it that made you not do that? And what did you learn? And that's a great question. <laughs> um, the answer is emphatically 100% yes. 
there right. have been those times. <clears throat> I remember one time before I tell you what's kept me from doing it. I remember one time in particular, I had been in the music business for a while and I was just, I was, I was, I was treading water. I, I was, I was feeling really thinly stretched. And I started thinking about going to work for the Atlanta Braves. I love the Atlanta Braves. <clears throat> so I started looking into doing that. And I'll say the Lord let me, he gave me some breathing room to just sort of dream a little bit and think. But then when I got through all of that, I'll never forget. I just felt this gentle tug in my heart that said, you know, you can't do that. You know, that's not what I called you to do. You know, yeah. that's not what I made you to do. Yeah. And I can give you multiple examples of that mm -hmm. through the years in my career where I just, I was, I was either burned out or I was, I was frustrated or I'd hit a dead end that I just didn't know how to get past. <clears throat> but this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, <clears throat> which is you can find that calling in your life, which you really feel like God wired you to do. It makes those decisions a lot, lot easier. I, if, if you give me a minute, Eric, one thing I'd, I'd love to share is the story yeah. of in Proverbs. There's a famous verse that a lot of Christian parents know, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Right. Well, I was brought up to believe, even as a young parent, that what that meant was, well, if you take them to church and read them their Bible and teach them how to pray mm -hmm. and say their blessing, when they're old, they won't depart from it. But I don't know about you, but I know a lot of pastors, kids who are hellions. And yeah. you know, so, you know, it's kind of a head scratcher, like, you know, yeah. they're doing all that. Why are these kids so ridiculously bad? Well, uh, my friend Max Licato wrote a book a few years ago called Cure for the Common Life. And one of the chapters in the book was about this verse. And he explained that he went back into the old Hebrew language to study that verse. And he discovered something that he had never seen before. And it and it ties to the question you've asked me, okay? Mm -hmm. So he said in, in Hebrew, they use a lot of word pictures. And the word right. picture in that verse is a, is, is a bow <laughs> arrow. And he said, the, it says, when you train up a child, the word picture is that they're a bow that has a bent to it. Mm. And, you know, if you think about a bow, depending on how you pull that back and, you know, the bent of that that bow determines mm -hmm. the direction of that arrow, right? Right. And so what he's saying is that your job as a parent is to discover what the bent of your child is. It's not to write your child's story. It's to help your child read, read the story God's already written for their life. Right, you right, help, right, right. If you, if you help that child find their bent, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. They'll be on the path that they were made to be on. And so for me, Eric, the answer to your question is in that, in that analogy is, and in that verse, I really believe I found a bent in life. I feel like I found what God wired me to do. So when I have those days that I just don't want to push through and I don't want to do anymore, I go back to, I know what I was made to do. I know what the bent is in my life. I know what God's gifted me. And maybe more importantly, and, and you know this, I know what he hasn't wired me to do, right? I know what I'm right. good at and I got to stay away from that, right? Right. So I, th I think that's what helps get me through those times. Great, great, great. Um, and, and, and I've got to know you over the years. I know that your father was a very important person in your life. And, and I know you looked up to him a lot. Would you share a little about like who was your dad and how did he impact your life? Then how did the way he, he uh, you know, how you loved him and how you spent time together, how did that influence you? 
I appreciate you asking that. My dad, uh, his name was David Reeves. Um, unfortunately, my dad died during COVID of COVID. And uh, so he's been gone now for about a year and a half in heaven. And uh, my dad was a, the, the common phrase that was said about my dad was he was a good man. Mm-hmm. And my dad, when he died, there were so many people that approached our family that said, you know, my dad would come down and mow my grass. Your dad would come over and bring us a meal. Mm-hmm. Your dad would come by my house and get a cat out of a tree. Mm-hmm. Your dad worked on my lawnmower to get it running again. <clears throat> my dad impacted so many people in everyday life. And he taught me that. And he taught me how to treat people. He, he gave me he gave me two pieces of advice, one spiritual and one from the business world. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a man of many words, but here were the two pieces of advice. In the work world, I'll start there first. He mm-hmm. said, and you've heard this before, mm-hmm. always be careful how you treat people going up the ladder because you will pass every single one of them coming back down. <laughs> And it really helped me as I began to get into management and began to, to steer people. It was his, those words from him that helped me remember how important it is to treat people well. On the spiritual side, I, I think outside of signing a birthday card each year, my dad never wrote anything to me, anything. No, no letters, nothing. But one thing he wrote to me that I treasure was he gave me a Bible when I was 10 years old. And he opened up the front cover and he wrote, never compromise this book. Love, dad. That's wow. all he ever wrote. <clears throat> Four words. Wow. And, and I watched my dad live that. I watched him. He, you know, there, I think it was St. Aquinas that said, in all things, share Christ when necessary, use words. That, right. was, my, that was my dad. My dad lived it. He wasn't the guy that was going to sit down and hand out a four spiritual laws track. He wasn't going to strike up a conversation with the guy right. on the airplane about right. Jesus. <clears throat> but he was he was a good man and wow. in every sense of the word. And that those those moments with him uh, helped steer me uh, to be the man I am today. Wow, That's good great. and good and bad. <laughs> That's great. What are you learning now? I mean, do you read books, meeting people, study? What do you What are you learning now? Yeah. Learning now. Let me let me start with um, life's hacks and life's potholes teach me more than anything I can read in a book. Yeah, Um, I I think I think you would say the way you work with your clients and wealth management and the way I work in the entertainment business is we, we have a lot of successes, Eric, between us. But what what you and I both know is that what we really bring to the table are the failures, the things where right. we we right. stepped in, you stepped in a financial pothole. You don't want a client to step in. I've made a bad movie deal that I don't want that next filmmaker to make. That's where right. the real value is. How I learn is just continuing to be willing to admit that I, I'm still making mistakes as I go. But right. there, was, there was a great book called Creativity, Inc. by um, Ed Catmull, who co-founded Pixar with Steve Jobs. He, they built this culture at Pixar of fail fast and fail forward. You know, if, if you're not failing, you're not, you're not developing, you're not growing. Mm-hmm. So I, I get a lot of life's lessons out of that. Now, I do read. I'm not an avid reader. I When I get what little spare time I get, I usually have my headphones on and I'm listening to music. 
um, or I'm uh, watching content because obviously I make my living in the in the film and the entertainment space. But I try to make myself read a few books a year. Um, they are typically instructional books. Probably the last one that I finished the full book of was um, uh, Virgin Atlantic, Richard Branson's autobiography. I listened to that uh, in an audio book and mm-hmm. just get inspired by people who have had success. And, and what sure. I loved about Richard was his willingness to say, well, that was a dumb idea and I lost right. $500 million on that. Yeah. I, I appreciate people who are vulnerable because it helps me learn. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. So, so what would you like to be remembered for? What would I like to be remembered for? Well, you know, Eric, I think, um, I I don't, I certainly don't want to be trite and, and just the same thing that everybody says, but Eric, I, I want to be married to the same woman I married when I got started. I want my kids to love me and respect me. And I want to have a relationship with them. Um, I want people to know that I, you know, there's a Mark Hall of Casting Crowns wrote a song that basically says, I don't care if anybody remembers me. I want them to remember Jesus. That's who Mm -hmm. I'm trying to point people to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, I'll never forget one time. I'll never forget this. You and I were working together and I had to make a trip to LA to meet with a, uh, quite famous television producer. I, I won't mm-hmm. say his name because mm-hmm. people probably will know who he is. And I was sitting in his office and he's very successful. And you would, your listeners would know his television shows and his streaming shows. And um, at one point in there, we were talking about wealth and, you know, heritage and legacy. And, and I made the statement that many of us I know you've heard. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. That's right. That's right. And he, he kind of, you know, listened to it. And then about two minutes later in the conversation, he said, Hey, can we go back to something you said? And I said, yeah, sure. What was that? He goes, I've never heard that phrase. I, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. He goes, can I go write that down? I need to, I need to leave this meeting and go back to my desk and write that down. He said that really impacted me. <clears throat> I think so much of the world, Eric, spends its time mm-hmm. chasing things mm-hmm. that are just empty and and they're not invaluable. I mean, you've seen the value of having wealth put to work for the kingdom. It's impactful. Oh, it's, very powerful. It's, yeah, there, there's there's nothing bad about it. It's it's a useful tool. But I I think there's a reason that you and I partnered so well on things that had more of a soulful and eternal impact rather than just temporary impact. So when you say, what do you want to be remembered for? Hopefully people can track my efforts, both with my family and with my career back to pointing people to things that really matter, not empty, non-eternal things. Yeah, it's so true. And in, 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 in my seat, I mentioned this in, in the book that I wrote, Who's Eating Your Pie? And thank you for, for being one of the people who wrote about it. Um, is I've been around some very wealthy people, some of the wealthiest people in the world. And I've seen sometimes they make decisions in pursuit of wealth that sacrifice relationship, and yes. later and sometimes sacrifices their personal uh, their their health. Um, yes. Over time, at the end of their, in their life, I've never heard them say, "Hey, I wish I'd had more money." 
they're always like, they're thinking about the relationships in life and they're thinking about some of their health or what they're dealing with. But, but that's really good, you know, and, and, and finding balance. And you mentioned date night with your wife and taking time for your kids and family. How do you find balance today? What, what does life look like you? What's that, what does that look like for you? And how do you find balance? Well, that's a weak spot for me. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I, I, um, I would say I'm a lot better at it. I actually just got asked this exact question for a radio interview I did recently um, in the Christian radio space. I got asked, how do you find balance? And my response was, you probably ought to ask my wife that instead of me. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, Heidi, she, uh, she can be very direct with me when, uh, that gets out of balance Uh, and, and I'm grateful for that. I, I think there's a couple of tools that Heidi and I use to try to help, but I, I will admit that I'm not very good at it because I love what I do and it's easy to, uh, overcommit and, you know, the, the calendar's just crazy, but here's a couple of things we do. I've already mentioned date night. I do that. Um, one thing that I've done since my youngest, or excuse me, my oldest, uh, was, was old enough to travel with me was all three of my kids have traveled with me. And that was one of the things that connected you and I, your kids have traveled with you a great deal. In fact, our kids have traveled together. That's right. right. So I always wanted my kids to be a part of my life, not just reading about life in a textbook in a classroom. I wanted them to experience life. That gave me some balance because I was able to, to, even though I was gone a lot, to have them with me gave me balance. Heidi and I's date nights that I mentioned. The other thing that we do, we, our family started several years ago, and I would say it was one of the biggest changes that we had to make in our life. And I'm so glad we did it was we began to uh, honor the Sabbath and we began to take, um, we, we follow more the Jewish tradition of sunset on Saturday night to sunset on Sunday night. <clears throat> we do know what, what scripture says is common work, meaning we're not Pharisees that don't lift a finger to, you know, put a clean, you know, fix food for ourselves. But we do, I don't do any Caleb work uh, in that 24 hour period. And Heidi tries to take a break from her normal duties as well. And we sleep and we watch football and we spend time with each other and we go to state parks and walk. We, whatever we can do, just take our mind off and do that. And it, it works really well. Cause I, you know, I still get stuff done on Saturdays and after I get past sunset on Sunday night, I, you know, if I got to prep for the week, I can do that. But I get a really good season of, well, just frankly, Eric, doing what I feel like God tells us to do. And it's so funny when you do that, how well it works. Yeah. So <laughs> imagine that. That's right. So, That's so right. for me, those are some of the things that I do um, to, to find some balance. But most of the time, I'd probably still admit I'm still out of balance. I, I and, and I feel the effects of that sometimes from strain on my family to health issues. I mean, I, I, I've not mastered that, but I do work on it diligently. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, and Bill, you've always been you know, a, a person who tries to look forward and see, see trends and things that, that are happening. And I know that that's as part of what you do is when you, you run a, a larger or major organization. What do you see as the future of entertainment? 
I mean, where's it going? And I mean, I know people are we're talking, and but what's happening? I mean, theaters are are were shuttered, then they're open and on demand, and and radio, and what is going on? <laughs> it's a little crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Aren't you Aren't you glad you don't own uh, stock in a theater right now? I mean, yeah. really, it's crazy. Um. So there's there's several things that that I look out and see and would say, you know, if I could predict it with certainty, I, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I'd probably be sitting on a beach somewhere, uh, you know, watching the waves crash mm-hmm. over my toes. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eric, I, what I really believe is that our, our culture is going to reach a point in the next few years where it's, it's going to realize how bad um, our entertainment systems are right now. Okay, and, and what do I mean by that? Um, you've got girls killing themselves because they don't get enough likes on social media. <clears throat> you've got guys who are confused about who they are because they're uh, they can't put a, a, a screen down to save their life. You've got addictions to pornography because it's available on every device that, you know, is in your home, uh, unfiltered. You've got, uh, and, and even if you're watching what I'd call good content, people are watching so much of it, it's taking away. They're not going outside and getting in the sun. They don't have hobbies. Um, and so for us, what we're trying to do at EMF is, we do believe in being in those spaces, but we believe in um, uh, having balance, cre- creating balance. We feel like as a vendor of those things, we have a responsibility. So mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? Um, when we're developing streaming, like we have Caleb on demand, we're, we're not trying to create Christian Netflix, where it's just so much content, you could never digest it all. And my goal is to keep you in front of your screen, constantly watching me 24 seven. I feel like there's the responsibility for these, these product creators to be limiting, like, you know what, we want you to have good content to watch, but we're not probably going to create more than two to four hours of new content a week. Because what we'd rather you be doing is reading a book or having dinner with your, mm-hmm. your spouse or be mm-hmm. at church with your youth group. Mm-hmm. And so we, we feel like, I feel like, and we're already starting to see it, Eric, when you watch stock prices of Netflix and mm-hmm. you're watching some of these things happen, these households are starting to figure out that what started out as, oh, this is fun, this is entertainment, <clears throat> has really become a dangerous tool in their hand or, you know, on the screen. So I think you'll see a shift in uh, the type of content. I think you'll see the shift in how these streaming services are built. Um, And I really do believe that we're going to get back to what what Jesus was so good at, which is just Mm -hmm. basic storytelling. You can't keep making $300 million Spider-Man movies and expect the world to keep showing up to them. At some point, you just got to be able to tell great stories. And I think I, that's what we're headed towards. And, and, and I, I have maybe one or two more questions, but one of the things I've heard uh, frequently, particularly when we, we were partners at WTA, is I've got a script. <laughs> I've got an idea. 
So what would you tell somebody who's young that says, man, I've got a, a passion for f- filmmaking. I've got a passion as a director. I've got a pa- I've written a screenplay. I've done this. And what would you say? Because I mean, it's everything from like, you see people, they've got talent and people are like, Oh my word, this is, this is really bad. You know? So, so but how, what would you tell somebody? What would you tell somebody if they say, how do I get started or how do I find a mentor or, or you know, what, what would you, what would you say? Yep. Um, it's a, it's a, a common issue that that comes up you and I both know I mean how many times oh my gosh I'll never forget somebody I was on a vacation once in Sarasota in a retirement community and one of the ladies found out that I was in film and over the next three days every senior citizen in that that community brought me their script and their headshots and I it was the it was the funniest thing my family and I still laugh about it what I would say is uh, a couple of things. Number one, be patient. Um, number two, creatives have a lot of trouble hearing uh, criticism, but but build a tough shell and be willing to accept it because it will make you better as a creative. Number two, um, I, I, or number three, I really do believe there's a place for things like film school and you know, there's music business programs, music programs like at Belmont here and Lipscomb University here uh, in Nashville. There is education, but I, I will tell you that the people that I've seen really traverse through the ranks are the people who are willing to go out and schlep cables and set up lights and just get on a working movie set and start learning it. Um, there's the great line in Christmas Vacation where Cousin Eddie uh, is being talked about and Clark and his wife are talking about him that he hasn't had a job in 10 years. Right. And, right. and, and she says, well, he's holding out for a management position. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of filmmakers who think their first thing they're going to do is direct a film or produce a film. That's not how it works. You and I didn't learn the business that way. We got in, we, we, we started with small movies. We started dealing with things we didn't even really know about sometimes, but we got in there and figured it out. I really encourage people to try to get as much hands-on experience as they can. And uh, I've seen that work really well for people through the years. But back to what I said earlier, you got to have a passion for it. You got to be, you got to be gifted and listen to those who are telling you um, how you can get better in your craft. Out of the part, that's a great answer because it's so true. It really is the same thing you can tell people in any industry, but film, unlike anything else, seems to be dislocated from yes. from people thinking there's steps to take. I've got to earn it. I've got to work my way up. I've got to build credibility to network. I need to put in the energy. I need to learn. I need to be disciplined. I need to study. And that's so, yeah. and so you really, that's just fantastic, fantastic advice on that. What do you do? to give back. We, we've talked about uh, other, other hosts. Some, sometimes we face depression and depression is very powerful. And then if you have depression, when you introduce gratitude, depression tends to go away. How do you give back today? How do you pay it forward in your seat now that you're where you are? And of course, there's times of life where not that you can do it every day, you're busy or not that you, you, maybe it's, see, but how do you try to give, how do you try to prepare the next generation or, or, or give back to people who are less fortunate than, than you or, or your family or my family or other people that you've met? Yeah. Well, I, um, 
there's there's several ways. Um, number one, just from a, a mentoring standpoint, I, I have a real heart and a passion for people that are coming up through the business world. And anytime I get a chance to, to go and talk to someone individually or as a group, I try to do that. Not because I got it all figured out, Eric, but because I, I've had some successes and I've had a lot of failures. And I think both those are valuable to learn from. And I, I want to share that. I think the transfer of wisdom from one generation to the next is a forgotten art because we we take our seniors and we 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 shove them away. We we let them go from our companies. We put them in old people's homes and and never did the old generation meet with the the new. And that's why we have a lot of the problems we do in the world today. And yeah, yeah. so, you know, back in the day, grandma was on the back 40 and, you know, Grandma and ma and daughter all live life together and life's wisdoms transferred across the generations. So for me, it's very, um, it's, it's very tactical in that regard. Now, you know, Eric, one thing Heidi and I do as well is, you know, we, we don't, we don't talk about it a lot, but we, we do financially set aside uh, mm -hmm. resources. We, we've been involved with a home church for many years um, because of that you know, we're, we're not in a church that we can just give. And so we, we set aside resources and we just, we look for needs, you know, maybe somebody needs a light bill paid, or maybe somebody needs uh, a new set of clothes, or, you know, maybe somebody just needs to go out and eat and have dinner and sure and, and have a meal. And we, we try to use our resources to pour into people that way, because we feel like it gives us a personal touch with them. Uh, it's, it's not just a cold transactional. I wrote my check stuck it in the offering plate. Right. Uh, right. Right. It, it keeps us sensitive to those around us and the needs around us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I really, really appreciate you being on our show today. Thank you for being on stuttering your way to success. I appreciate it. My, I guess it was Bill Reeves. Bill, as always, I, I learned so much from you. I appreciate your heart to give back, to lead, to 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 to, to mentor the next generation, and to live in such a way that you know that you influence others positively and and you make an impact. And to all of our guests, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you learned something as I always do. And the purpose of this show is to help you to to give you tools you can use right away to to make a massive change in your life. <laughs>